Welcome back to Matters Season 2. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio. And I'm Nefer McDonald, Affinity Partnerships Manager here at Clio. On Season 2 of the Matters Podcast, we've been talking about client-centered legal practice, which Jack wrote about in his best-selling book, The Client-Centered Law Firm. So far this season, we've welcomed industry leaders to discuss topics like what's broken in the legal industry, what client-centered lawyering is, and why a client-centered approach is key to moving the industry forward. In the next few episodes, we are shifting our focus forward to the how of client-centered lawyering. We'll welcome a number of terrific guests who will provide practical, real-world approaches to help you become more client-centric at your law firm. I interviewed Mitch Jackson, Shreya Leigh, Inti Martinez-Alaman, and Bill Henderson about how law firms can build client-centered cultures by adopting a new mindset that puts the needs of clients front and center. You will hear three lawyers talk about how they have brought a client-centered mindset to their practices. Then we'll end with the conversation about training law students to become client-centered lawyers so the industry can begin to change from the ground up. To kick off our discussion, we'll start with someone who built his firm entirely around the term client-centric and the idea that clients are like family. Mitch Jackson, a founding partner at Jackson Wilson, was named the 2013 California Litigation Lawyer of the Year. And in the legal world, he is a social media luminary. I started by asking Mitch to tell us some of the ways he and his wife and partner, Lisa, put the client experience at the center of the work they do each day at Jackson Wilson. I'll tell you what, Jack, in today's world, it's all about the client experience. It's all about making things easier and simpler and reducing the amount of friction from how we deliver our legal services to how the client perceives he or she is receiving our legal services. Everything we do, especially in today's upside down end of the tunnel COVID-19 world revolves around understanding that our clients have been through a lot. Frankly, our team's been through a lot. We've all been through a lot, right? And so when it comes to clients that need legal services, we're trying to make sure that we deliver those services in a way that eliminates unnecessarily, unnecessary challenges, unnecessary hassles, and is smooth and efficient. I think by doing that, the clients respect that, they appreciate the effort, and it makes it a more enjoyable experience. And I think we need more enjoyable experiences moving forward, 2021, 2022, and beyond. And Mitch, your website proudly states that you treat clients like family. How have you built a law firm culture that's inclusive of the client experience? And and maybe you can elaborate on on what you mean by treating clients like family. Well, Lisa and I both grew up, Lisa is my partner, my wife. We met in law school. We've been married for the last 33 or so years. You might want to ask her for a specific number. Feels like one to me. But we both grew up in the business together where her mom and dad worked together and owned a dairy distributorship and and really did everything together to build the business. Mike started off loading milk crates on the back of a milk truck. When I met the family, he owned his own dairy distributorship and retired at 52. My mom and dad had a guest ranch in Tucson, Arizona, one of the top premier uh, resort guest ranches on the planet. I watched my mom and dad and how they got along and how they treated the guests. The guests were treated like family. What Lisa and I have both done, probably not with a lot of thought, but just because it's in our DNA, is when clients come into the office, we ask them open-ended questions about 
their family, their hobbies, their interests. Where were you just coming from? You said your, your, your daughter was running track. Where does she go to school? And so what we've done is we've tried to really include personalizing, even during the initial client consultation, the question and answer aspect of it to learn more about the clients and then to take that next step and ask a question that will reveal to us something more about the client. And here's the secret, Jack, asking that question and then stop talking and just start listening and listen to what they have to say. And inevitably, we always learn something more about the client than what we did 15 minutes or 15 days earlier. But there's another step. And that additional step is empowering our team to do the same thing. People aren't necessarily trained how to uh, enjoy listening to other people's stories. It's something that they can learn. It's something they can watch and observe uh, what we're doing. And so we're empowering our team to do the same thing. Ask questions on the phone. It's okay to take a 30-second conversation and ask that question and let it roll over to a three to five-minute engagement with the client. It's not all about saving time with the firm. It's more, what's more important to us is building those relationships. So it takes, if it takes a few more minutes to do so over the phone, if it takes a few more minutes at the front office before somebody comes back to see me, the, our team has the green light to do that. And I think by incorporating that philosophy um, when we were starting off and then fast forward to today, especially today, especially with what we've all been through, that's what works for us. I think clients are comfortable when they come in. We insist that they dress casually. We insist that they be themselves. And we expect our team to do the same thing. And, and that's how we've kind of wrapped our arms around building this family culture here at the law firm. And we do that with opposing counsel. We do that with the uh, court reporters down at the courthouse. We do that with experts that come in. We want everyone to understand that this is how we do things. And, and frankly, if you're not on board with that, then you're probably not a good fit for us either as a client or as a third-party consulting expert. So that's what's worked for us, but it's in our DNA, Jack. It's not something that we've really been working on too much. It's just who we are. And maybe you can talk a little bit about how, how do you screen for this DNA in your, in your hires, in your staff, in your firm, Mitch? Can you talk about how you instill this kind of mentality in your, in your newer team members or what you look for in the interviewing process? And and, and and maybe any, share any advice you have for law firms that are looking to instill more of a client-centered culture in their in their firm. It's easy. It sounds easier, you know, easier said than done, Jack. But uh, we try to hire nice people. We try to hire interesting people. Lisa and I are at the point in our lives where, if we're not interested in the case, if we're not interested in working with someone, if we're not interested in what we're doing then we're probably not going to get involved with that project. We're not going to have that client come into the firm. We're going to say thank you, but no thank you. You know, you're not a good fit for who we are and what we're doing, and we'll make a referral. When it comes to building our team through conversation, through checking out their social media, what are they talking about? What are they doing when they don't think anyone else is paying attention? What were they jumping up, up and down about in their blog post or live video or before the our firm ever came into their lives. Who are they really? You know, character is what you say and do when no one else is watching you, right? What is their character? And if that character is congruent to the philosophy that we've been that uh, I've mentioned, a family type of environment here at the law firm, 
then sitting down and instead of having a five or 10 minute conversation with a prospective employee, it turns into an hour. It turns into an hour and a half, maybe with lunch or breakfast involved. I think that's the way you really get to know somebody. And that's the way you can almost help, you know, make sure you're making the right decision when you bring a new team member, you know, into the firm. Now, I was that guy back in the day where if I could make a decision in 30 seconds or one minute, that's what I did, right? I'm, I'm really good at that. But what I realized is even though I'm good at that, I'm probably not crossing my T's and dotting my I's with respect to who's really sitting across from my desk. As I've gotten older, Jack, and someday when you're my age, you'll feel the same way, I hope. As I've gotten older, I've gotten wiser, right? And so what I've realized is, Mitch, pump the brakes, slow down a little bit, speak less, listen more, and listen to what these people have to say, ask open-ended follow-up questions, just like we would with someone on the witness stand, and really give them a chance to share who they are, what they're all about, what their interests, their hobbies, their passions are, and then all else being equal, for example, where they went to law school, what their trial advocacy experience is, all of that else being equal, then I think it allows us to make the kind of decision to build a team that allows for that family type of experience here at the firm and resulting in an exemplary client experience when all said and done at the end of the day. It sounds like a lot of your your ethos around this orbits around the idea of putting your clients at ease, just creating that comfort and the maybe familiarity that comes through the casual conversation and, and maybe not feeling like every conversation is being me- measured in, in six minute increments. No, absolutely. So, you know, we have an advantage. Most of our work is based upon a contingency type of professional relationship. Uh, we do do some business litigation where we're doing some hourly billing. It's not my preferred method of practicing law for many, many different reasons. But what I've learned, and I've learned it the hard way, is that as long as you put the client's best interest first, and by that I mean if you can get a client's issues resolved with two hours worth of work, as opposed to two years worth of work, which I've seen a lot of law firms do and drag out, um, what you're going to have is a happy client that's that's a big proponent of who you are, what you're all about, uh, helping you build your brand. There's no better way to build your brand, both offline and online, than for other people to do it for you from the heart. And so when you've got a satisfied client, you are upfront, honest, and got it done, as opposed to... And I know you don't know anybody like this, but I know law firms that will drag out a one-month legal challenge to a two-year billing experience. And I don't want to have anything to do with those lawyers. They're never going to be working for my firm. And in fact, it gives me extra incentive, Jack, to go into court when I have the opportunity to do so and, uh, and take care of business. I'll say that politely on this show. There's more than one way to say that. And, you know, so it's about doing the right thing. And I think now post-COVID-19, if that's where we are, it's never more important to do the right thing. It's never more important to have empathy with the decisions you make as to how you're handling your clients' cases and the decisions you make as to how, what can I do to keep the expenses done, but to also maximize the chances for my opportunities to do a good job for our client when it's all said and done. So it's an interesting dance that's always been there, but I think in today's world, even more so, and the clients appreciate that. I just love this approach Mitch and Lisa have taken with their firm. This idea Mitch mentioned, building your brand by having other people do it for you from the heart. 
is so interesting. And he's right. Your best shot at making a name for yourself is by offering meaningful representation to clients who will then go out and sing your praises to everyone they know. And like Mitch said, this client-centered approach has been built into the firm's DNA based on the examples they both had within their own families. But even if it's not something that comes as naturally, this is a skill and a mindset that lawyers and law firms can learn to build the practices around. How to ask questions, listen deeply to clients, and build relationships. These are all things you can teach yourself and those working with you over time. You're so right, Jack. If lawyers and law firms can get themselves out of the billing-centric mindset and shift to thinking about clients like family, the way Mitch describes, their business will change for the better. Absolutely. And I think this tees up nicely for our next guest who, funnily enough, is another lawyer who built a client-centered law firm with her spouse. Shreya Lay and her husband Colin started their law firm, Lay Roots, with a client experience in mind. Their approach to their practice is well summed up by how they refer to themselves as lawyer humans. Their work revolves around their commitment to treat clients like people, not case files. From the very beginning, they made a bold decision to embrace a different model for service and billing. Here's Shreya. I think the first thing that we were very bullish about with when we first started the firm was in not having um, billable hours be our billing model and having flat fees or some variation of flat fees be our billing model. I think that was the biggest focus from the very beginning. One, I hate tracking my hours. I mean, you know, you get an email from a client and then you have to click over to the right matter and then start your clock and then answer the email. And it's maybe like a minute and a half of your time. And then you, you know, have to remember to stop the clock. And it just feels like a total waste of time. I probably spent an equal amount of time just trying to track that a minute and a half long email as I did in answering the email. I want to help people. And if they feel like they don't want to reach out to me or tell me things that are going on in their life because they're worried that they're going to get a bill, then that defeats the purpose of them hiring me in the first place. And that seems very silly. Just seemed like a very silly thing. And I hated it for them. I hated it for me. And many people told us that flat fees were stupid and we'd never be profitable. And sometimes we weren't. I mean, there were some times when uh, we either underpriced something or didn't account for things, or there are some areas where we haven't figured out how to do, you know, a flat fee for a certain type of, of service. But for the most part, I think we're, you know, we track our numbers, we're able to be profitable, we figured it out eventually, even if we lost money on some things when we first started out, there was experimentation involved. That was, I would say, that would be, I think, the the basic of where basis of where it started, um, as far as like client centered. And then beyond that, we also looked at other brands outside of the legal industry that we enjoyed buying from, and thought about, well, what are some things we really like about these brands, and how do we incorporate that into our law firm? Can you give some examples of what some of the touch points you saw from other brands that you you wanted to incorporate into what it felt like from an experience perspective interacting with your law firm? We didn't want people to feel like they were getting something cheap 
right? I mean, one, it's not in my in our natures to do something in like a half-assed fashion, right? So the a la carte kind of legal services or unbundled legal services, I think that works great for some people, but it just doesn't work for us. I mean, we're not great at sticking to those boundaries. And so I found that even if I was saying, I'm only going to do this one thing for you, I would end up doing more anyway and just losing money because I would, you know, just get frustrated that it wasn't happening or that they were frustrated and I just didn't like it. And then when we buy from other brands, we just want, we like when things are just handed to us, ready to use, (laughs) you know, whether that would be checking into a hotel or going to a restaurant. The reason I want to go eat at this nice restaurant is I just feel taken care of. And so we wanted that to be the feeling for people that they felt like we were taking care of things for them and they didn't have to worry about it. We were taking that off their plate. Then there were other brands like, you know, we really like, I really like buying things from Nordstrom or Patagonia because you get the feeling when you walk in that they really care and they have a guarantee for their services or the goods that they produce, right? I was thinking about those things is like, how do we build in some sort of guarantee that we're going to give you the thing that you have signed up for in a reasonable way and also have people feel like they were taken care of when they've they've hired us. Did did you find that there were things you had to actively unlearn from law school in terms of how it equipped you to run a successful law firm? You know, I wouldn't say necessarily from law school specifically, but definitely from other lawyers and from the law firms in general. There's just this inherent skepticism, I think, of providing too much transparency to the client or in providing too much service. And also, you know, the idea that the legal work, I guess that might be the one thing from law school that I had to unlearn is that being an excellent attorney is not necessarily as important to the client. I mean, yes, of course, you want to be competent, but there are a lot of competent attorneys out there. And it's much more frustrating when I call someone and they don't call me back for five days. And like, it doesn't make it better that they then provide me a perfectly drafted, you know, LLC agreement that doesn't make me happier about it. I'm like, okay, this is great, but you know, I wanted to talk to you about it five days ago and now you've ignored me. Becoming client centric isn't isn't something that you workshop and get done in a, in a day and, and move on to business as usual. You, you kind of need to build it into the DNA of your law firm. Can, can you talk about how you've tried to make client centricity part of your, your DNA and what's worked well on that front for your firm? It was a struggle <laughs> to make it a part of the DNA of our law firm. I had a hard time unlearning that idea of being, you know, the best lawyer and being good at drafting documents and that as someone who's a licensed legal practitioner, that I needed to be doing hardcore legal all the time. But we learned early on that, you know, between me and Colin, my partner, I am much better at interfacing with clients and someone needed to spend time interfacing with potential clients and clients, just calling them, 
checking in on them, answering their questions, which for the most part are not legal questions. They're things like, what is the name of my trust? What address do I put on this form? And, you know, at some point, like someone else can handle some of that. But for the most part, they just want to talk to us, right? Like maybe someone without a legal degree can answer those questions, but they want to know that we're available and able to answer questions for them. The way we built it into the law firm is that I spend much more of my time talking to people instead of doing legal work that takes up a much smaller chunk of my time. And we prioritize that. We've set kind of time limits on how quickly we should respond to correspondence and then built in online scheduling and provided links to clients where they can schedule time on our calendar of their own. And then they can also see what our availability is like as well, that we're not just, you know, avoiding them, that we might actually be busy. And then also just set dedicated time aside in my schedule to follow up and and talk to people um, so that we know that's getting done. I love the way Shreya and Colin built their business. It's so different from the usual model for law firms, but They were willing to try a new approach with flat fees and transparent scheduling because they knew it would pay off for their clients. Yeah, it's a really interesting model that runs contrary to what a lot of other firms are doing. And they've really shown that that's doable. You can forego billable hours, be incredibly client-centered, and still be profitable. You know, Jack, I really connected with Shreya and Colin's desire to emulate brands outside of the legal industry that they felt provide excellent customer service. Shreya mentioned Patagonia, which is a great example of a quality brand that has built a business putting clients at the center. And that doesn't mean the price tag is low. People are willing to pay for products and services that deliver the kind of experience they want. Absolutely, Nefra. And I spoke to another lawyer, Inti Martinez Alaman about how he built this kind of experience at his law firm, Seba Forte. As a firm that engages in business, civil, and employment litigation for predominantly Spanish-speaking clients in Minnesota and New York State, Seba Forte won the 2020 Reisman Award for Excellence in Client Service. And talking to Inti, it's easy to see why. He really gets the client-centered model. Even as early as law school, Inti wasn't thinking, what kind of law do I want to practice? He was thinking, what kind of legal representation are people in my community asking for and not receiving? So when I was in law school here at Mitchell Hamlin in St. Paul, Minnesota, as a law student, they asked me to do a business plan and do all that. So one of the things I did was go and survey the land. So what did I do was... And I went around and asked lawyers who serve Hispanics, which is my community, what areas of law do you have hard referring clients to? Because you can't find lawyers. So every other lawyer that I talked to practice immigration, family, or criminal. But they said, I can't find a business lawyer that speak, who speaks Spanish or a civil lawyer who speaks Spanish or an employment, labor employment lawyer who speaks Spanish. I'm like, Looks like uh, this is a good fit. Uh, happens to be that back home in Honduras, I practice uh, these areas of law. So um, I was akin to them already. So that's how I got it connected with these areas of law and was able to understand what the community needed. 
So can you tell us a, a little bit about why you found it to be so high impact to take this this client-centered approach and build empathy for what your prospective clients were actually looking for? And, and maybe spend a moment also talking about the business benefit of really considering the client experience and, and building that empathy. Yeah, one is uh, very important and it's to humanize and connect with, with the other, with the like and the, and, the, and the one who's not like you. So being able to know how a client got here, for example, most of my clients are Hispanics and most of these Hispanics were born abroad like myself. So we have a common theme there, right? Immigrants, entrepreneurs, some employees, others, but we have that immigrant connection. Sure, not related to immigration law per se, but we connect, where we bond in that sense that we're new in this country that's not the most immigrant friendly but at least it's uh, we're here so so that's like more of the meet eye to eye human connection that reduces or alleviates the anxiety that many clients experience and then the second the business benefit is just stellar i think um i wasn't planning i didn't even know that the term client centered existed i just did what i thought was right you know and then i i heard about that term through you jack so and then I'm like, huh, so there's a term for that. And so <laughs> the business benefit is uh, having returning clients or uh, word of mouth spread like wildfire. And it, and it works. And we have, we love what we do. Mondays are uh, my favorite day of the week after Fridays. What about the impact you see with your clients? How does understanding their situation show up in your relationship with them? So... One, like I mentioned, reduces their anxiety. Most people don't talk to lawyers on a daily basis. And so that's a huge benefit because then they are able to open up and share other struggles that they're going through. And of course, I'm not a psychologist or a counselor, but it helps me understand where they're coming from. Like I tell them, your same fact pattern might affect someone else in a different way. But I want to know what you're going through. So I'm able to address these issues. I want to know your tolerance for uh, risk. We're in litigation. Most of our work is litigation, 90% of it. So I want to know your tolerance for risk, your tolerance for structure, your ability to use technology, your ability to speak eloquently, even if it's in, in Spanish, but understand their emotional intelligence, their social intelligence. And that's like half of the battle, if not more. The other half is just the facts that exist there. So it helps us in litigation. And what resources would you recommend to law firms that want to gain a better understanding of their clients and what they want to see from a law firm? Before talking about purely resources and listing them, I'd say it's doing an introspection. I think that's like number one thing that you, you as a law firm, you as a lawyer should do of who you are, know your strengths and your weaknesses as an individual and also as a law firm, right? Do a SWOT analysis, do a Myers-Briggs test, a strengths finder. So that introspection will help you be genuine with your clients because you can't be everything for everyone. So once you are able to identify what you want in a client, then you have that ideal client, right? So based on that ideal client or ideal clients, because it could be a, a combination of different kinds, then resources specifically, for example, in my case, business law or business litigation, chambers of commerce are very helpful. Bar association sections for business or civil, local uh, city council personnel that 
we befriend throughout time because of licensing stuff and that kind of stuff. So just uh, know your local resources and be genuine. Like that's the most important thing. It strikes me that Inti really built a community of resources around his clients. It's not just about the client and what they say they need. It's also about understanding yourself, your clients, and the organizations and groups that can help your client thrive. He's fully embraced the client-centered mindset and infused it into everything that happens at the firm. One thing I like that he emphasized is the part about having open lines of communication and why that's so important. That reminds me of something Shreya said earlier. If clients are afraid to contact you either because they think you're too busy or because they don't want the extra expense, it defeats the purpose of opening a law firm in the first place. And Inti really hits the same nail on the head. If you can get clients to feel comfortable opening up to you, you get to know them better and you help ease their anxiety. But I guess the question I'm left with is, is that something you can train people to do or is it just something you're born with? Our last guest is the perfect person to answer that question, Nefra. Bill Henderson is a legal scholar, the editor of Legal Evolution, and co-founder of the Institute for the Future of the Legal Profession. Knowing that he's a legal educator, I asked him about fostering a client-centered mindset early on in lawyers' careers. As a legal educator, you maybe have a unique perspective or do have a unique perspective in, in seeing the the generational shifts in in mindset about the the problems facing the legal profession, maybe some of the solutions at hand for for addressing those problems. Can can you speak a little bit about what kind of mindset change you're seeing in the the newest crop of of students you're teaching? You know, this kind of goes back to the boiling frog metaphor. Yeah, that maybe some people are familiar with this is that if you take a a a, a frog in the in the hot water, tossing the hot water will jump right up prudently. But if you slowly turn it up here, it'll it'll just you know it'll boil to death because the quantum effects it has a hard time noticing. And I think that young people coming into the profession now are uh, to see that there's some there's there's dramatic differences, and they can see that the rise of legal tech, and they can see this variegated uh, ecosystem that 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 somebody like me who graduated from law school over 20 years ago wouldn't have. Uh, wouldn't have uh, seen. And I think that uh, it creates an openness that I, I haven't seen with students in a long time. I, 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 I do some standardized uh, questions with my students just to, just to pick up on some of the different generational differences. And I've seen much more openness toward what you do with a law degree. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, I think that the, 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 the big issue here boils down to uh, oh, what's sometimes called Educating the capacity. And once you learn how to, and Paul Cravath, by the way, understood this. This is the way only one of people fresh out of law school he wanted to teach them the Cravath system because if they ever learned another system, the unlearning of the system is actually very difficult to do. And I think that there's, we have a generation of people that learn how to be artists and lawyers and really want to finish their careers. If, if truth be told, want to finish their career, they're going to be more comfortable finding somebody who's going to basically pay them by the hour to solve their problem. There's, there's a new generation of people coming on that are, and I see this with some of my students that, are, that went through iFlip that have gotten jobs in this sector. I uh, think I'll, I'll name one by name or two by name, Aaron Welsh and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and Melody Circa. One of them is, uh, one of them's at Perkins Coie's, she's an innovation architect. The other one is at Village MD in their legal uh, department. They were both at Cisco and they were either kind of part of the legal team, but they got exposed to a lot of legal ops stuff here. And 
they are really building systems to solve, uh, uh, I mean, that's where their jobs are to solve more sophisticated problems. Uh, they're, they're, they're not probably giving very much specific legal advice in, in, in you know, Aaron's case, probably not at all. Uh, but, uh, because she's really is building systems for purpose, Cooey. but, uh, uh, they see a real opportunity here to be part of something much bigger and, uh, and, uh, and they're, and they're, and probably neither one of them probably would have gone on the traditional law review or the, the law firm track here because they didn't quite make the credentials cut off to be pulled into that market, but they're off to great careers. And, uh, and I see more and more students that are open to these pathways. Generally speaking, you want to see, you, 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 most people don't have the bravery to walk through like a, a, a meadow with just a little bit of matted grass. They want to see, they want to see a, you know, a true pathway and many people, only people ahead of them on the pathway, knowing they're at a right direction. We're slowly kind of like, we're going from matted grass to, 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 to roads. That's slowly happening just by new career paths, uh, be blazed by some, some younger people now. When you look at the law firm culture, if we, if we shift our attention maybe to the, the law firm level next and think about how do law firms create a culture that focuses on the needs of the client, tries to be more client-centric in the way it's delivering legal services, and importantly, innovating on the way that it's delivering legal services, what are some of the things that law firm leaders can do to, to foster that kind of environment? Well, model it, it, model it. I mean, I think of Patrick Pallas in the, in the people law space that has done a magnificent job of, of bringing along some young lawyers, including my former student, Jordan Couch. And they, they, they created a whole new, uh, fairly lucrative, uh, you know, workers cop people law practice that, uh, that uses chat box and really doing some amazing stuff. When I think about Mitch Simplick at the, at Oric, uh, that, that, you know, it's at the other end of the spectrum. That is, uh, that is, they, they, they put a lot of energy into developing their own stuff through their West Virginia, uh, global center of excellence place. I've been there. It's an unbelievable culture, uh, within that West Virginia um, facility. And I actually think that, 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 uh, because it's remote from the other offices, it's allowed to develop its own kind of vibe of, uh, innovation. And I, and, uh, I think that, that, that that uh, there's a few bigger law firms, Perkins Cooley is one, Oric is another, but there's a few others that are uh, Chapman Cutler for sure, that are really doing a really good job through their leadership of navigating these changes. And and it great and you can't go too fast, which might be my temperament. I'd go too fast. You can't go too slow. That's easy to do. But you have to go just right. And I think that Tim Mo and and Mitch. Oh, and uh, uh, a few others have done a really good job of bringing their their firm along. And I think they have a pretty healthy uh, culture, and it's not going as fast as I would like, but uh, but 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 it's going realistically fast. I love that we ended this episode with Bill after hearing from three lawyers who built their own client-centered law firms. Bill offers really good advice for existing legal practices that are interested in making the shift to being more client-centered. He says the way to do it is to model the change you want to see, starting at the leadership level, and to move towards being more client-centered at just the right pace, not too fast and not too slow. It's really good advice because, like Bill says, unlearning can be really difficult, and adopting a client-centered mindset can take some time for lawyers and firms who are very much entrenched in their ways. So we've come to the end of the episode. 
What are you taking away from this one, Jack? What's sticking with you? I think for me, the main thing is that being client-centered really is a mindset. All of the guests today clearly understand the value of being client-centered and the importance of placing the client experience at the heart of everything you do. We see businesses in so many industries achieve tremendous success by embracing this model, and we're starting to see it in legal as well. In our next episodes, we'll go deeper into some of the other practical things law firms can do to be more client-centered. But we started today with a mindset because everything flows from there. Thanks, Jack. This has been a presentation of Season 2 of Matters, based on the client-centered law firm, the best-selling book by Jack Newton. Matters is hosted by Jack Newton and Nefra McDonald, produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and brought to you by Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider. Be sure to subscribe to Matters wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit us at clio.com. To read Jack's book, search for The Client-Centered Law Firm wherever you buy your books.